things are not always as they appear. Things are sometimes, though they may be bad, they may look bad, things are not always as they appear. Now, I have to say, with Daniel Rushing, things were worse than they appeared. Uh, Daniel Rushing is a story that was told in Miami uh, newspaper. It was also in the uh, Orlando Sentinel. It was also in the news, in several different places that I was able to find this story. And it was very interesting. Maybe you have been caught off guard by this incredible well-lit sign that may appear anywhere that you may be driving the Krispy Kreme sign. Hot and fresh or hot now or whatever, and you'll pull in over pedestrians to get into this place uh, whenever this sign is lit up. Maybe you're not that way, but anyway, Daniel Rushing was uh, actually driving in, or I think it was Orlando, and uh, he pulls out on the road and then he gets pulled over by some police. Uh, for not failure to yield at a stop sign. And so as he is pulled over, they asked to inspect his car. And when they inspected his car, they, uh, he, the, 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 the condition was, yeah, you can inspect my car, but don't give me a ticket for failure to yield because there's, there's nothing to find in my car. 30 minutes later, they come back to him. They said, are you sure there's nothing to find in your car? Because we found these little hard crystals in the floorboard of your car. And it was what they said was crystal meth. Okay, so what it was in reality was Krispy Kreme icing that flaked off of his donut onto the floor. But the story gets better. The police were so insistent, they arrest him, put him in the lockup, and he has to be bailed out of jail. And uh, in that process, they tested it and uh, field tested it. I don't know what that means, but the police officers field tested it and said, no, this is crystal meth. You're going to jail. And so actually, it was several days later, weeks later, it says in the paper, that it was through the crime labs that they found that it was actually Krispy Kreme icing. Both are addictive. Crystal meth is addictive and Krispy Kreme ice cream is addictive. That's the only similarities. But not everything is as it appears sometime. Uh, well, clarity hopefully helps us sort through life and make sense of life. I want to point out that we have an incredible deacon body. Now, you don't know them most of the time, but they're serving in so many ways. But the past couple of weeks or the past couple of weeks, I've been team teaching with Brett Ferguson, one of our deacons, and he has been a blessing to me to be able to hear the messages from his heart as he shared. But our deacons are serving in so many capacities where they're at the front door greeting you when you first walk in. You don't know them. They don't wear this big, I'm a deacon kind of shirt or button or banner or anything like that. They're teaching our children the next hour or this hour right now. There's so many things that they do. Even one of them is helping us launch uh, a new ministry called Mentoring Marriages. And basically it's just simple everyday marriages in our church. They're not perfect marriages. They're just strong marriages and they're willing and ready to to open up their life, warts and all, brokenness and all, and how they've sorted through their life and their baggage and their and how they've developed a strong marriage. And so if you know of anybody inside the church, outside the church that says, hey, they're, they're not ready for counseling or they don't want to do counseling, but they would walk with another couple or another couple of couples that are going to just walk through a series of conversations and try to help do life together for a season of time. If you know of anybody like that, then you be sure and let us know about that. There's information online that you, they can sign up for that. I want to give my plug as, as, as a, 
uh, as um, earlier was, was given for Next Step Weekend. Next Step Weekend is an opportunity for me to get to know you, you to get to know me, especially if you're exploring a church family, if you're ready to belong and be a part of and not just walk in and walk out and not just attend, but you're ready to be a part of a family of faith, then please, Friday night, Saturday morning, we want to welcome you. But as we deal with this clarity, I want to wrap up the series today on the last chapter of Colossians. We'll be there in a moment. You can be finding it. But uh, I want to talk about life in the terms of math. I am not good at math. One plus one equals two, okay? Anything much beyond that, I get really lost and have to break out my calculator. But sometimes math is not simple add and subtraction. Sometimes I think life is more like algebra. And if you know algebra and what little exposure or what little knowledge I have of algebra is that you have to work not only the equations within the equations, it's very important that you do the equations in the right order. And there are cues to know what is supposed to happen when, what's supposed to be equated first. And so I think life is like that. And when we're talking about clarity, it's not just one plus two plus one plus two, you know, whatever the, the math equation may be out there, it is actually more algebraic. It is more trying to figure it out and answering the questions that come to you in the right order. And that's a lot of what we've shared with you is sometimes people just want to know why I'm here. What am I supposed to do? What's this job? What's my task? Let me do it. And starting with the what is the wrong part of the algebraic equation of life. Actually, we start with the why. The why gives us a purpose. And in Colossians 1, we talked about the why and trying to unpack that. It gives us a sense of purpose. Then the next week I talked about the who. Who we are will inform our identity in this world. And once we know why we're here and how we're connected to that why and how the why is connected to us and how the why defines us and to who we are, then we can again move to the what which is where a lot of people like to start, by the way. And that's the what gives us a sense of our uh, of the roles that we have in life. What role do you have? Your role may be one thing today and it may be something else tomorrow. You're you're a student, you're a you're a teacher, you're a you're you're a you're a, 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 a supplier or you're a buyer or whatever role you have that changes from day to day. Doesn't mean the why changes, doesn't mean the who changes. But the what may change any given number of times. But today, I want to move to the last of these circles here, and that is the how. The how gives us our mission. What are we to do in the what? What are we to do in the who? What are we to do in the why? How is our mission out there in what we're about? And the why that we've been talking about from the very beginning is that we are to know him and to make him known. Say that with me. We are to know him and make him known. Say it again. We are to know him and make him known. So when you wake up tomorrow morning and you are wondering, why am I here? I'm to know him and to make him known. When you go to your job, your school, wherever you go about your day, I am to know him and to make him known. Giving clarity to that, asking the right questions in the right order is mission critical, okay? 
Before we can get to the how, the mission of our life, we got to get, make sure we're grounded thoroughly, fully in the why. And the, we are to know him and to make him known. Uh, uh, one author said it like this, for effective life, ministry, work, home life, fill in the blank, we must have clarity at the core and flexibility at the fringes. All right? And don't reverse order that. Know what the core is of who and why and why, what you are and, 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 and knowing how you're to do. And then after that, you can get become quite flexible on the outside. So whether you push product or you buy product or you educate or you're being educated or you work at home or you work in the home. It doesn't matter that the, the why doesn't change. I'm to know him and I am to make him known. And settling in on that is incredibly important. Now, the question today is how do I live out my why? Okay, how do I know him and make him known in my life. So take your Bibles and let's open to that Colossians passage. And I want to read it as Paul is wrapping up his letter to the church at Colossae. And he's writing this to them. You just listen very carefully. And I think what you're going to see in here is a couple of different angles about this, that there is this internal angle and there's this external part of who we are. And if we can not balance them out, we got to figure out how to live in the tension of managing them both. It's not one or the other. They are both and. And so you see Paul as he's encouraging them to do just that. Continue steadfastly, it says in verse two, in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So literally, the attitude of my prayer life needs to be watchful, needs to be thankful. It needs to be looking at my life from through spiritual lenses so I can see things the way God sees them. I interact with God on a regular basis. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mysteries of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Paul's writing from prison, not for being a bad guy, not for eating Krispy Kreme donuts uh, and getting pulled over by the cops. He is in prison because he was sharing his faith. In an e- and that was illegal in the Roman culture, what he was doing. And that I may make clear that which, how, uh, which is how I ought to speak. Then he gives him another exhortation. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So there is a being element and there is a doing element. There's a being, there's an internal, then there is an external. So I want us to understand how we live out our why is we're going to do it in a two-part, two things to focus on in our life. One is a private part. One is a public part. So let's talk about the private part, the private you, okay? The you behind closed doors, the you inside where nobody else sees what's going on inside, the you whenever uh, uh, nobody's looking you. That's where we know him. It's in that space of 
who I am privately inside of me, that's where I need to focus in on knowing him. If I'm going to make him known, part of the equation, I got to first know him. And so we have to start with that very thing, that private you, not the public you. It starts in the private. It starts in the internal. Right now, the staff is reading a, a book called Replenish, where we're talking about how ministry can be exhausting and draining and the doing of ministry can and literally take it from you to where the work of God outside of you can sometimes kill the work of God inside of you. Now, I know that doesn't make sense. It's an occupational hazard that we have to live with, okay? That you have your occupational hazards, we have ours. That's one of ours. Whenever the work of God outside kills the work of God inside. You may not understand that, but that's what can happen. So whenever we get busy doing ministry, but we forget the being in that part, then we're in trouble. One of the statements in the word, in, in the book, Replenish, it says, what happens backstage facilitates and empowers what takes place on the front stage. Backstage is always about being. Both are equally important. You cannot separate the two out. They are both go hand in hand together, the being and the doing. But I want us to think about this today is that private me where I get to know God, where I know God and I experience God. That's the backstage part. All right. And then there's the front stage part. That's what everyone else gets to see. That's where I interact with people. That's the doing part. So think about it in, in, in those terms. So let's talk about this private you and how to know God and make him known. Again, what happens backstage facilitates the power, empowers, and takes place on what happens on the front of the stage. Now, for example, use this stage. What is behind that screen, you don't see it. You never see it, okay? You probably don't want to see it, all right? It's dark back there. I've tripped over things, and I'm glad the music is loud out here because you didn't hear me fall back there. there. But there are very important things that happen back there that inform everything that happens in here. Also, those guys, what we call front of house, and that little square box is there in the back. You're not supposed to see them, but I promise you they're tied to what's happening back there. What is important is that what's happening right here on the stage with the lights and the camera and the action and everything else would not happen if it weren't for those guys back there and what happens backstage. What those ladies and those guys are doing back there is so important that if they weren't there, we'd be meeting out underneath a tree because we couldn't function in here. Now, it's not that important. Yes, it is that important if you want to understand it all. So what happens backstage in your life is just as important and fuels what is happening on the main stage of your life. So much of what we focus on is the main stage, is the front stage. Don't miss the backstage. Notice what he said in verse 2. Continue steadfastly. Now, this is an emphasis here. He is emphasizing something here in a present active imperative. This is something that's happening today. It's ongoing. It's active. And it's an imperative. This is something you got to do. What are you to do continually, steadfastly? Live out your life in prayer. Live out your life in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. That's all happening on the inside. 
What you're supposed to be number one on every day of your life is to continue steadfastly, never stopping, being passionate about it. And that is your prayer life. And that doesn't happen in a big room. In fact, Jesus said, go do it in a closet. That's where prayer is supposed to happen. It's supposed to happen behind closed doors. It's not how I pray on this stage. It's not how I pray around the dinner table. The most meaningful prayer is the prayer that I have alone with God in my prayer closets. In the times and the private moments of my life. So hear this when I say that prayer for many is not everything as it appears. For some people, it appears to be weak. If you pray... You, you pray because you're weak. Because you couldn't fix the problem yourself, therefore you have to turn to God. There's a lot of people that's their, the sum total of their prayer life. I couldn't fix it myself, so I had to turn to God in prayer. Or there's those who literally just see prayer as some rote, regurgitated, like the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to pray it every night and that's going to be my prayer. As if it's not something that comes and flows out of our life. But we need to think about prayer is in, in kind of like conversations, okay? Kind of like growing up in life, kind of like a, a progression. There are, think about it like this. Think about infant prayers. Prayer is kind of like us talking. It's just, remember when you, as a dad, remember when you used to say to your firstborn, or your second born, or your third born, dad, dad, say dad, dad, say dad, dad, before you say mama, or something like that. You know, you can remember whenever they finally said your name, and you always had to check, did I, did they say my name first, or your name first, or, or whatever the case may be, but we just get so excited when the child just says dad, dad, or mama. Whenever they say that, then we know that we're communicating and we're connecting. Think about it like this. The God of the universe gets excited when we call his name for the very first time. So much so that he'll make you his child to as many as received him. To them he gave the right to become his children. John chapter 1 verse 12. That whole calling on his name is the most powerful. It is the initiating prayer life. But if all you say for all your days is dada, and you never develop beyond that, then you have missed out on the power of prayer. Then there's that toddler prayer where you learn to say phrases. Just like in life, you, you teach your child to say when they're a toddler, say please, say thank you. Say sorry to your sister or brother or whatever. So you give them just like little bitty one or two word little phrases to kind of get you going. And there's a lot of times in our lives that whenever our prayer life is simply that. We maybe got beyond daddy or God or father. We might say, God, I need help. God, I need you. We have little phrases. Now, again, that's great for a toddler, but if you're a 35-year-old believer in Christ and you're still just praying little phrase prayers, you're not quite there yet. Constantly devoted to prayer is something more than that. Then let's talk about children and adolescents prayer. These are sentence or sentences, if you will. This is whenever you say, hey, dad, I would like to borrow the car. Or hey, mom, can I stay out late tonight? You give questions, you give sentences, you don't go into big dialogues. How was your day, son? Oh, fine. Maybe you get phrases even as, as, as you get back from your kids. You might 
squeeze out a sentence or two. Now, here, here's what I'm going to say about this one. A lot of times in most believers, they never get past children or adolescent prayer. All they can give is questions to God, one or two sentences, and they're done. And to pray more than that, to talk more than that, it really means nothing. Listen, if you, again, are, are, are with people that all they can do is just ask you questions and ask for things from you, that may be good for a while, but there has to be some maturing into adult prayer, which is conversational prayer. Conversational prayer is whenever you actually talk about the real issues of life. It's when you start your day and you end your day. It's whenever you're talking throughout the day. It's whenever you have an ongoing conversation. Sometimes, notice this, even in our relationships with our spouse, sometimes we revert back to phrases or maybe words in a text. And that may be the extent of our conversation. Just like it will kill the intimacy of your marriage when you lose conversation, so it will kill the intimacy in your relationship with God if all you give God are words, phrases, and simple sentences. Conversations. Let me give you an example of this. Uh, Jordan and I, we've been going on daddy-daughter dates since she was in in school, and I used to take Chick-fil-A to the cafeteria. We went on a daddy-daughter date the other night, or actually uh, uh, last Friday. We went to a restaurant, we sat down, and we talked about some deep issues in life. And I have to say, after I walked away from that, I didn't even tell her this. I walked away from that, and I thought, I enjoy our kids as adults. I enjoy having adult conversations with our kids about life and decisions and difficulties and pains and how they can speak into me and how I can speak into them. The the, the most sweetest, the most intimate conversations that we're talking about with people is when you get to conversations, the same it is with God. That we would enter into a conversation with God that would be deep and personal. We have got to move a life principle for you. Prayer is more than a lifeline. Prayer is a lifestyle. And if it is only a lifeline, you are only going to give God your phrases, your emergency sentences, your help God kind of prayer life, then you will not ever achieve the deep intimacy that God wants you to have. Prayer takes us deeper. When you are constantly and you're devoted to this prayer life, it is something that you don't just have to have a prayer time, you have a prayer life. You don't just pray over this situation everything is a conversation with God. Conversations throughout the day. You don't just say amen at the end of the day. You're saying, you're communicating with God throughout the day. Prayer takes us deeper, but prayer also takes us wider. Notice that he told him in verse 2 to continue to be praying, to be thankful as they're looking out through life. But then he says in verse 3, at the same time, by the way, I need your prayers. At the same time, pray for us that God may open to us the door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on the account in which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So here is one of the greatest missionaries of all times, the guy who literally is, is so prompted by God on the Damascus Road experience that he becomes a follower, he goes into his training, he comes out of his training, he becomes the 
the first missionary to take the gospel to the middle of Turkey, and that's his first missionary journey. And then the second missionary journey takes out a little bit further to the edges of Turkey, to the to the uh, to Izmir or modern day Izmir or modern day Ephesus. And then he goes out a little bit further, and he goes all the way into Athens and into Corinth and, and into Philippi. He, he just continues to go further. His vision and dream was to make it all the way to Spain before he dies. We don't know if he made it there or not, but he made it to Rome. So you just see his progression in the missionary task that he was about. At the same time, what's he doing? Is it on his ingenuity? Is it on his commitment? Is it on his skill? He is building his work on the backs of bent knees. He is doing his work. Pray also for us that God would open for us the door. It was going to be the people praying for him that was going to open the door. So much of the time we think of these missionaries doing the great work. The great work happens in the prayer closets of our life. Contrary to popular opinion, Randy Sprinkle said, you used to be a coordinator of the uh, International Mission Board Prayer Ministry. He said, contrary to popular opinion, missionaries are not the ones who open the areas where people don't have access to gospel. Mission prayers are the ones that open the breach. Missionaries come in behind them. We make the difference in this world. We not only go deeper, but we go wider. That the gospel goes out where it's never gone before. We know him and we make him known through this. And this is exactly the life and prayer life that Jesus modeled. When you notice that Jesus, before he went public each day, he first was private. Before he advanced the gospel, he first made sure his heart was right with the Father. On the same track. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, we're about to do a study through Mark. I will not have time to mention this passage, so I'm going to mention it now. Mark 1, 35. And rising early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And as far as we can tell, this was a daily rhythm for Jesus. No, sometimes he'd actually pray all night long. The fact is that Jesus got up before the day started. He pulled himself aside. He got away from the noise, the tweets, the Twitters, the Instagrams, the TikToks, the anything else. And getting away from the emails, the notifications, and the bosses, and the, and, and the complaining customers. He got away from it all so that he could get with the Father. Interesting thing. I don't have time to read it, but you can go on and read it through the rest of this uh, chapter all the way through verse 39. But literally, he got the next step in his life on where he was going, even though the disciples come crowding him around. Hey, Jesus, we've been looking for you. Where you been? We've been looking for you. And he, he says, listen, we're going to another place now. But because he, before he did, before he does, he is. He develops that private life to inform his public life, which then leads me to the public. The public you is to make him known. As I know him, I have the blessed privilege to make him known. See, not everything is as it appears, as I said in the beginning of the message, because the sad fact is, is that the best argument for Christianity And the best argument against Christianity is the life of a Christian. So not everything is as it appears whenever you look at the life of a Christian. But what we should be, if we know him and we're making him known, then the audio of our life is matching the video of our life. 
The being is informing the doing. The private is empowering the, the public inside of us. Now, I hope that everything is as it appears with you. Your speech, your talk, your conduct, everything is in line that you can go out and with integrity make him known. I should be asking myself two questions every day that I go out into this world. Who do I know who needs to know Jesus? Who do I know who's in my circle of influence, who's in my life, who's in where I live, work, learn, and play that I know that needs to know Jesus. And I need to always have one, two, three, four, five names that I am constantly praying for. We've even said in the earlier part of this year, who's your one? We just want you to have one. Don't have 10. If you don't have 10, have one. And if you get, after that one becomes a follower, then find another one. But zero in on one. Who is your one? What have you been doing in the past six months, seven months since we introduced that question? What have you been doing for that one? What have you been praying for that one? You need to be asking yourself, who in my world do I know that needs to know Jesus? We say every week around here, live sin. That actually has a definition to it. And that's to show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. It's not that complex in the sense that I'm telling my story. I'm telling what God has done. It's what God has called me to. See, we talk about this in West Point, our world changers that will be this weekend in that next steps module. When, you, when you, we get there, we, we, we train you. We talk about how to share your story. You might think about it like this. If your story is what you've done, your gifting is what you can do. Your interest is what you like to do. Your passion is what you would sacrifice to do. Then your calling is what you were created to do. See, God created you to know him and to make him known in whatever context you're in. How do I know this? Is because Jesus said it like this, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Jesus said that. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Well, how did the Father send Jesus? He sent Jesus very simply, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Who do you know that needs to know? Jesus. Look what he said there. He said, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, those outside the faith, those not yet followers of Christ. If I'm to know him and to make him known, I'm to make him known among those who do not know Christ. Wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of your time, realizing that every single day, maybe the last day, for that person to breathe. I need to make full use of my time. Let your speech always be the gracious season with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Live your life in such a way that people will see the Jesus in you. The audio is matching the video. This is exactly what Peter said. Paul said it here in Colossae to the church of Colossae. Peter said the same thing in chapter 2 of 1 Peter verse 12. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles, those are the outsiders, honorable, so that when you speak and when they speak against you as evildoers, they try to mar your reputation, they try to destroy you, they try to tear you down, they backstab you they may see 
See, remember we're sharing or we're, we're sharing and or we're, we're showing and sharing Jesus. When they see your good deeds, they will glorify God. I should be asking the question, who do I know that needs to know Jesus? But there's another question that, to be honest with you, I didn't ask this very much in my life for a lot of years. And that is, who do I not know? who needs to know Jesus. You think I'm only responsible for those I do know. No, we actually are global followers of Christ. We're a part of his creation in this day and the hour in which we live. There's 7.7 billion people that populate this planet. 265 million of them do not have access to the gospel. Those 265 million can be subdivided into 3,114 people who don't have a missionary, don't have a Bible, don't have a church, don't have a a film in Jesus. They they don't have access at all. And I got to think about when I read, when I read Colossians here and I think about my mission in life, my calling in life, I need to be thinking about that one person out in the middle of nowhere who needs to know, but I don't know who they are. They need to know Jesus. And how can I be a part of their grand story? And this is what we've been about at Grace Point Church. If you haven't figured that part out, you are first time here today. You'll figure it out. It's a part of who we are. We are a going church to our community. We're a going church to the nations. In the next four months, I mentioned this a few weeks ago. What have you done? Where have you been? Next four months, we have four trips going out. Actually, five. One's already full to, to, to Zambia. Another one is full in March. It's closed. They're training. They're prepping right now to get ready to go. There's another trip to South Asia that's going, and they got a couple spots. They're going to be closing in the next couple of maybe days to, to a week. And then we've got other, other trips that are going out. And listen, there's opportunities for you to go and to stay, to go to those that you know who need to know and to go to those that you do not know that need to know Jesus and to show and share Jesus with them. We are to know him and to make him known. For a lot of years, I did not, I asked question number one, but I didn't ask question number two. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't concerned about those I didn't know. And you know, when it comes down to it in our lives, and next week I'm going to begin a new series of messages called Fresh Start. And some about a fresh start is getting that new beginning, that clarity hopefully has come or is coming of the what, of the who, of the what, excuse me, the why, the who, the what, and the how. And now I need to level set my life. I need to get things right. I need to put things in right order and right balance. And I need a fresh start today. But you know what? That starts next week as a series, but it could start today in your life right now. It could be a fresh start and I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I need to have a relationship with Jesus. And right where you're at, you can ask Jesus to come into your heart. Just tell him in prayer. Say, Jesus, I need you. I want you. I want to follow you. I can't live my life without you. You put it in your own words. We're going to have prayer partners that will be around the room. You can go to them. They'll be on the landing. There'll be some at the front. You can go to them. Maybe you need a fresh start in your faith because you've been doing your faith, doing 
in life, but you haven't been being. You haven't been taking care of the backstage. You've only been about the front stage or vice versa. You've had great quiet times with God and you can mark your prayer life out there and you can check it off that you're reading the Bible through in a year again. But you can't tell one person that you've ever led to faith in Christ. See, we're not to just make him known. Neither are we just to know him. We're to know him and we're to make him known. Would you bow your heads with me? As you contemplate knowing him versus making him known, being versus doing, prayer versus sharing. Which of the two is most out of balance in your life? And we may start with the fact that you may say, I don't even have Jesus. I challenge you today, give yourself to Jesus. That's where it all begins. Then you can know him. Then you can make him known. And you can start that today. But if one of those is out of balance, what will it mean? What will it take to get it in right order? I'm going to pray for us. Our prayer partners, if you'll go ahead and start moving to your location. Father God, I pray that you would awaken each and every one of us in our life where we are out of balance Maybe starting with the very fact that do we know you, Jesus, personally. And I pray anybody in this room that does not know you, I pray that, Lord, you would touch them, minister to them in a deep kind of way today, that they would know I need to give my life to Jesus. No playing games, no being religious any longer. I want to follow you, Jesus. Lord, help them to have that boldness and the courage to step out and to make that commitment to you. Lord, if there's anybody in this room who's out of balance in the being versus the doing, the doing versus the being, I pray today that you would work in their private souls. And when they walk out of this building into the public arena of this world, in front of outsiders, in front of those who are far from God, those who don't know God, I pray that, Lord, you would empower them, encourage them to make you known. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this time in this space. Moments to reflect, moments to do business with you. Speak to our hearts now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand together with us in this time?